Our first reading is from James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20, and can be found in page 1216 in your church Bible. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Gospel reading is taken from Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 to 17, and can be found on page 1046 in the Church Bibles. Luke 13. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory Glory to to you, you, O Lord. Lord. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, And immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water. Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, you, O Christ. Thank you, Tracy. Do please take your seats. About uh, two years ago, I started um, running because I wanted to get fit. And I thought it would be quite good as well, you know, for the vicar to be out there running around the parish, you know, bumping into people. Well, not literally, of course, but... Just over a year ago, though, I picked up an Achilles tendon injury, and I was so frustrated because my new fitness routine was brought to an abrupt end. So what did I do? Did I pray for healing? Did I ask others for healing? Prayer? No, I looked it up on Google. 
I was expecting a simple diagnosis and a, a recovery plan, but the advice turned out to be so confusing that in the end I made an appointment to go and see the doctor. And he dropped the bombshell that it would take probably a year to heal. And so I gave up running. I then turned to prayer. I prayed for the Achilles tendon to heal. Kirsty prayed for my Achilles tendon to heal. Six months later, I went out running again, and after a couple of minutes, the injury just came straight back. I was so frustrated, and I was saying, Lord, you know, I'm only trying to do something that's good, you know, get fit. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to win the Olympics or anything. Why do I have to have this injury? And do you know what he said back to me? Absolutely nothing at all. <laughs> so what was all that about? Well, I, I don't know exactly, but I do know that as I reflected on my running around the parish, if truth be told, it was never going to be much of a positive influence on the community. I was so competitive over my five-kilometre times that if I saw anybody I knew, I would just sort of smile and wave and, and keep running. And so it wasn't a very pastoral exercise. So I joined the local gym up at Asda instead. Now I'm staying fit, but now I can talk to people who are exercising next to me. So maybe God knew what he was doing. I don't know. But you know, sometimes our experience of prayer can be a little bit like that, except that life can throw at us much more serious things than um, Achilles tendon injuries. Some of us will feel that through no fault of our own, we're on the receiving end of life's troubles be that financial difficulty, unforeseen circumstances, ill health, bereavement, broken relationships, the burden of caring for others, a bad habit we can't break. These are all potential sources of, of stress and anxiety and fear even and despair. Now some of these things might describe you at the moment, perhaps not. Um, some of them might describe someone you know. Or they might describe someone sitting next to you. The good news is that in this final passage, in this letter of James to the early church communities, having challenged them throughout the letter to persevere in suffering, to stand firm in temptation, to guard their words and put their faith into action, James concludes by showing them how this should all play out in Christian community. And it can be all summed up in two words, prayer and care. And in the first instance, James addresses the vital importance of prayer in all that we do. And the first thing is the prayer of the individual. Verse 13, the first verse of our passage, James writes this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. By the way, trouble here is from the Greek word kakopathio. Now, I bet you didn't know that. Which means to suffer misfortune. It doesn't mean that we're in trouble in the sense that we've done something wrong, although it could include that. Normally, it's not used either to describe sickness, but a more general sense of life's troubles. But James's message couldn't be more simple, could it? If you're in trouble, then pray. So let me ask you a question. Is prayer your first response to running into life's difficulties? Or do you turn to Mr. Google like I did? Or do you get out your wallet and throw money at the problem? Do you drown your sorrows? Do you labour under stress and anxiety? Do you look to blame someone else? 
James insists that we must turn to God in prayer. Now, of course, I'm not saying that he's, or that he's saying that we shouldn't go to the doctor if we're sick or that we shouldn't go to a debt counselor if we're in financial difficulty. Not at all. But what he is saying is that there is no part of life that cannot be transformed for the better by bringing it before the God who has made us and loves us. Everything is transformed in his presence. Remember that story I told a couple of weeks ago of the 15-year-old Lucia. She spent months suffering as she died of cancer, but those months were transformed by the beautiful relationship that she had with Jesus. But it's not only in the difficult times that we're called to approach God. He's also God of the good times. James goes on, Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. If we want to see God, God's kingdom really come fully in our lives, our families and our workplaces, then we're to turn to him in every kind of situation, not just in the bad times, but in the good times as well. The great theologian John Calvin said of James's letter here, he says that he means that there's no time in which God does not invite us to himself. I've often referred to my own spiritual awakening in a little church out in the bush in South Africa, the moment when God came alive in my life. And after leaving the church that morning, we drove off to have lunch with some friends, um, Charles and Jane. I hadn't seen them for 15 years. By that time, they'd had four children. And as we sat on the veranda about to eat our food, the four children sang a song of thanks to God for what we were about to eat. And I got a small glimpse of what it meant to involve God in every part of one's life. It was beautiful. I'll never forget it. And so now Kirsty and I say a prayer of thanks before every meal that we eat, not as some religious ritual, but because it reminds us of who is present with us. And it changes the meal. It transforms the time that we spend eating together. And so God is the God of the good times as well as the tough times. Paul writes to the, in his letter to the Philippians that in every situation by prayer and petition, which means asking, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God and God, and God will give you what you want? No, that's not what he says. It says that God will give you peace that the peace of God, which is beyond all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And, you know, this is really important when we pray for for someone or for some particular outcome in a particular situation. God may grant us our prayer, but he may not. But he promises that even if he doesn't give us what we ask for, that he will give us peace about the outcome. And if we have his peace then we have all we need. Next, James turns to the subject of praying for people who are ill. And this particular part of the passage, uh, this few verses, has created more than a little discussion and controversy over the years. Why? Well, James says, Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. 
If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. And on the face of it, one could draw some rather sweeping conclusions. Firstly, we might think that the job of praying for healing is not for ordinary people, but only for the church elders. Secondly, we might think that healing prayer has to be accompanied by anointing with oil. Thirdly, we might think that given sufficient faith, we're guaranteed that the person will be healed. And fourthly, that somehow this prayer will automatically impart forgiveness of sins. But actually, I don't think James means any of those things. Um, And so very briefly, I want to just clarify each point. Firstly, the elders. James suggests that someone who's ill should call the elders of the church to come and pray for them. Why the elders? Why not anyone? Well, in the early church, the elders were a, uh, simply a group of mature Christians who had pastoral oversight of the local congregation. Acts 20 tells us that they had responsibility for the spiritual feeding and the care of the flock. Now today, that role is covered by a whole wide combination of, of people. Um, yes, the clergy, but also ministry leaders, small group leaders, preaching team, pastoral team, prayer ministry team. And according to Alec Mottier in the BST commentary on James, the important point is that this ministry is rooted in the local congregation. That it wasn't some special function of the apostles or other people with recognized spiritual gifts of healing. In other words, they were ordinary people like you and me. Yes, they might have been the church elders, but they were ordinary folk. What he also points out is that James is referring to someone who's probably very ill. The fact that the elders are called to go to the sick person indicates the likelihood that they're restricted in their movement, they may well be bedridden. The likelihood is they've been prayed for by lots of other people anyway. Secondly, the anointing oil is not the thing that produces the healing. Verse 15 says quite clearly that it's the prayer offered in faith that makes the sick person well. The oil, interesting, was used in Jesus' day for medicinal purposes, for a wide range of ailments. And so it was not unusual for it to be used as part of, of healing prayer, but it was also a sign and a symbol of God's soothing, healing power. And it's still good to use it today, but it was not understood to effect miraculous healing by itself. Thirdly, verse 15 appears to make a rock-solid guarantee that prayer will heal the sick person. And yet we all know that James must have known that this is not always the case. So what did he mean? Well, here are a few brief thoughts. It's a big subject, but here are a few brief thoughts. He does not mean that you have to have enough faith in order to be healed. In fact, the only faith referred to in this passage is the faith of the elders, not the faith of the sick person. And I don't think he even means that the elders have to somehow summon up enough faith in order for the sick person to be healed. In the BST commentary, Mocha argues for an understanding that the elders have discerned that it is God's will to heal this particular person, and if this is the case, then the prayer of faith leads to healing. Other commentators point to the fact that the Greek words here used for healing, sozo and being raised up, are more commonly used of spiritual healing and salvation. So that James has kind of deliberately left it open to interpretation as to whether 
It's physical or spiritual healing involved, and so often it's both. But I don't think we should make a mistake. James does mean that God, in response to faithful prayers, does miraculous things. He offers the prophet Elijah as an example in verses 17 and 18 of the righteous person whose prayer was in God's will and therefore effective when he prayed for first drought and then rain. And today, in response to faithful prayer, God does heal some people. Paula Brunt, who we were praying for on our prayer list recently for her cancer, has been told they can't find her tumour anymore. I don't know why Paula's tumour disappeared and someone else's doesn't, but God does. And also we know from our own experience and others' experience that, that when a person is prayed for to address a particular need or symptom or illness or problem, it's often something completely different that God does through that prayer. 35 years ago, uh, the well-known Nicky Gumbel, then a barrister in London, went up for prayer at a healing service in his local church, the one that he attended. He went forward because of his athlete's foot that he'd suffered from for years. And his athlete's foot did not get healed. But he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the minister prophesied publicly that God was anointing him to preach the gospel. And 30 years on, He has preached the gospel or taken the good news of Jesus to more than 30 million people through the Alpha Course. Sometimes God knows best. Well, he always knows best. (laughs) Sometimes we realize it, though. And I I think all of this points to the real nature of prayer, that for us, prayer is and always will be partly a mystery that as broken and flawed human beings, we we just come into God's presence and we lay our lives before him. And and yes, we ask him for this or that or for healing, and, and that's good and that's right. But our prayers are always supplemented by another prayer, sometimes not consciously, but the prayer that says, but your will be done, Lord. Because it's not a mystery to him. He knows. And one day we will all know. On the night before Jesus was crucified, as he knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood because of the stress he was under, he asked God if there was some way he could avoid the terrible suffering he would have to go through if he went to the cross. But he also prayed that if it was not possible, that he would accept the will of God to do whatever had to be done. And what had to be done was to pay the price that we should have paid for sin. That's how much he loves us. In the words of the hymn, In Christ Alone, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I stand, I live. I cannot imagine what it would be like to experience the wrath of God coming down on me, and I'm very glad I won't have to, but Jesus did, and for you and me, He did that for you and me so that we don't have to. And the love that Jesus showed as he carried the sins of the world on his shoulders is why James urges the Christians to tap into God's forgiveness by confessing their sins to one another and praying for each other so that they will know God's healing grace. And I think the best place to practice this sharing and praying for one another is within the small groups which meet midweek in people's homes 
or in smaller prayer triplets or prayer couples or during prayer ministry uh, at the end of one of our Sunday services. Praying for one another is one of the greatest ways of caring for one another. And the final responsibility that James places on the church community in verses 19 and 20 is to call back those who've fallen away from the faith. We all know people who are no longer active in their faith the way they used to be, or those who claim to be but clearly live in ways that aren't godly. And just as the shepherds went after the shepherd went after the one lost sheep, leaving the ninety-nine behind to fend for themselves, God's heart is that not one of his flock will be lost. And he calls us to be active in this ministry of restoration and reconciliation. It's an awesome responsibility and one which needs to be conducted with great humility and self-awareness. But nonetheless, as James points out, it's a matter of life and death. It's hard, isn't it, being loved so much by God that he doesn't want to just leave us as we are. So if we're struggling, James says, pray. If we're happy, Rejoice, give thanks. If we need God's healing, ask for prayer and anointing with oil. If we need to confess sin, confess and receive his love and forgiveness. Pray for one another and see God work in the lives of those you pray for and help those who've fallen away to be encouraged back into the church family. This is the picture of prayer and care within the Christian community that James holds out to us. I think it's beautiful. I can't imagine wanting to live any other way. So this morning I'd like to give you a small opportunity just to experience some of this prayer and care. So what I invite you to do is that after you've had the bread and wine of communion, before you go back to your seats, head off to the back of the church where the prayer ministry team are going to have Uh, be be waiting to to receive you and to pray a a prayer of healing for you or a short prayer for whatever you would like and they're going to anoint you with oil um, for healing. And so I'll remind you of that again when we come to communion, but don't miss that opportunity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful picture of the church community caring for one another, praying for one another. We pray that more and more you would help us to make that care and that prayer just a natural part of life, like like breathing air in and out. Help us to love one another so well that when the world sees us, it cannot but mistake your love for them. In Jesus' name. Amen.